Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth, hosted by me, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being here today. Happy New Moon in Aries. I am feeling the energy. <laughs> I'm feeling the, I'm definitely feeling the vibes of this one. I feel like Aries moons are sometimes so intense that I don't, like, it's hard to know what to do with them, but you know, as so many astrologers have been saying, I've been really feeling very similar things. Like if you're someone who works with the moon, obviously if you're getting the call to like sit this one out, like that, it knowing is way more important than anything anyone else could have to tell you. But if you are kind of feeling like you're ready to set an intention today that really can support you, especially in the themes that we explored in the monthly medicine to like release and receive with grace, open heart. Um, this is really the moon to do it. <laughs> so if you're kind of feeling that wanting that, I highly encourage you to work with this one because it's pretty powerful. Um, yeah, it's so cool to see how fast the year is going. It's kind of amazing. So this week is an ask Lindsay episode and these questions are dynamite. We had, we always do. We have so many Ask Lindsay questions that we're always at an overflow. Um, I do try to honor the ones that were uh, like time. So I try to kind of say, you know, who's been waiting the longest, that kind of thing. Um, but I also include questions that I know I'm really feeling in my heart need to be answered right away. So if your question again, didn't get answered, it's either because it got asked a little bit too close to the recording of this episode, or, uh, it is really just that I'm feeling that it would be better served in another answered form. So, uh, just trust that if it's meant to be, you'll get your question answered. Um, and you can always ask questions by going to, uh, wildsoulpodcast.com, which is this podcast's website. And there's like a little ask Lindsay, um, tab on the menu and you can email and let me know what your question is. Uh, so Ask Lindsay is the episode of the month where you write in with your questions about tarot, witchcraft, energetics, intuition, and I try to answer them as best as I can. So I'm going to just dive in. Katie asks, Lindsay, can you talk a little bit about pentacles, money, abundance, scarcity, and self-worth? I've been in poverty for a long time and have the story that it's my that it is my fault. I'm a sound healer, yoga teacher, and nanny, also in herbalism school. I feel so wealthy in so many ways because I am, and yet my wealth hasn't shown up in the physical realm fully yet. I've been reading so many books on money and scarcity. I'm wondering if it's related to my self-worth. Am I blocking myself from receiving? I can't work a corporate job. I am so attuned with my soul's journey and I'm so stubborn about what work I will do and also about how many hours slash classes I will take on, especially as an empath and highly sensitive person. I won't do any work that I don't feel is part of the healing of this planet and the people. So first of all, Katie... I want to start by saying that this is such a good question. And I think I, I really bow to you for asking um, because I think that this is a very common um, cry of the heart among people who do this kind of work and are committed to this kind of path on the planet. Um, 
And I also want to say just right off the bat, this is not your fault. It's not your fault. It's there. It has been too long that we have blamed the inequities in wealth on people not wanting it enough, not manifesting it hard enough, not whatever the fuck, not working hard enough. Unless like you had a million dollars and you went to Las Vegas and you gambled it and lost it all, it's not your fault that you don't have money. (laughs) Now, there are ways in which we can step out of uh, threshold limits, you know, but for a lot of us, the money that we make is a hard earned thing. We have to do a lot of work on it. And unless you're like somebody who woke up with a shitload of money that you can do anything you want in this whole world. And even then people who wake up in that privileged circumstance still have trouble bringing in their own money. Pretty much unless you are of a very small portion of this country, we're all going through the work that you're doing, Katie. So I hear you. I know that there's a lot of disparity, a lot of, um, there's so much to be said for a lot of what you shared. And, um, I just really want to say that I think we need to completely do away with this idea that it's our fault that we don't have enough money, because I think that that is total horseshit. It's not our fault that we, it's not about fault. We can have beliefs, behaviors in place that kind of keep the money thin but that's not what I'm hearing from you, Katie. So that doesn't mean um, we can completely be subject to a culture that doesn't pay us as much that, you know, whatever it is, like there's lots of reasons why money isn't coming in, but I want to completely quash the idea that this is your fault. So the first way that you can free up a little financial space around you is to try to let go of this idea that it's your fault or that you're doing something wrong. The second thing that I would invite you to consider, you are asking me, so you're also free to disagree with me. I want to put the power completely back in your hand. But as somebody who was raised on welfare and like had food stamps in my 20s because I couldn't get a job after I was fired for a short amount of time, it's um, really important for you to shift, to consider shifting your languaging to I refuse to work any job to I am willing to be open to certain jobs serving the planet in ways that I can't see. I'm willing to receive abundant support from any source. And I also want to share that um, no job is undignified unless it crushes your spirit. So I love your boundaries on that. I don't ever want to ask you to be flexible in your boundaries. However, I will just say that on my path to working, to be where I am, um, I worked as a maid, as a nanny, as like um, a bus person in a restaurant. Uh, I cleaned houses. I cleaned kitchens. I cleaned toilets. I would have taken a job anywhere that anyone would have had me because I didn't have any other options. And I thought and felt unless I was being actively disrespected, I didn't feel that any job that I had 
was beneath the level of healing and service. And I, you are asking me, so I'm offering you my answer. Other people might feel differently. If we are part of a chain in a restaurant where we are washing dishes, where we are part of that cog, we are serving people. We are a part of a great wheel that serves folks who want to eat, that serves a system where, not saying it's the greatest thing, but if we don't have any money and we really need the job, there's absolutely nothing that says that that's not sacred service. So I encourage you to expand your idea of what service is because it's all service. If we're coming to it with an attitude that like we are the bodhisattva, everything is the Buddha. Obviously, I do not descend, I was not raised Buddhist, but um, the idea from which I've learned, if we are if we have the idea that kind of like everyone is Jesus even, like they'll be Jesus. So unless there's abuse, disrespect, then that's obviously, we can have complete boundaries on that. But when we're working in any environment where we are a part of the um, exchange, then nothing is, um, nothing is, um, that's the one area that I think because I love your fierceness with your boundaries. I think that's amazing. Um, but I want to try to invite, I want to invite you to begin to walk a journey where you are redefining and even just questioning what feels like service. Um, won't do any work that's that you don't feel is part of the healing of this planet and the people on it feeling. Feelings are not always facts. So questioning what are your prejudices potentially about certain lines of work? What do you feel is not connected to healing and what is? Um, not accusing you of anything. I think we a lot of us have that. And I think it's really important to think about are we inadvertently keeping ourselves from a job that is actually um, incredibly nurturing and incredibly enriching to us that we may never have thought was a part of, you know, anything, or are we connected to this space of, um, you know, kind of limitation. So I'm feeling like there's nothing that you're telling me that's your fault. There's also nothing that you're telling me that I think is evidence that you're blocking anything, but there is some languaging that came through in your question that I do think you may want to journal about and you may want to look at um, because I fucking honor and respect it so much. And I don't think it's a blanket thing. It's not like I'm like, you need to be open to working any job because that's not true. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> um, you don't have to do anything. I love your boundaries. Um, but you are also asking someone who would have done pretty much anything to make rent because I had no other option. So I have always come from a place where I saw, I was able to see service in everything I was doing. Um, unless I was being mistreated, in which case I would later out of there no matter what. So, um, that's sort of 
I think that there can be a middle ground and I think that a lot can happen for you. A lot will happen for you, Katie. If you start to replace words like stubborn and I refuse, uh, or you didn't say refuse, I'm sorry, um, that you will not do work and that you're stubborn about, you know, if you can shift your languaging to, I have very strong feelings about work and certain kinds of work, but I'm willing to consider that any work can be holy work. I'm willing to consider that um, something awaits me in the form of work that I never thought was holy service work that maybe I'm just not seeing and I'm willing to see it. That doesn't mean you have to compromise your values. It just means sometimes our eyes can be open beyond what our story is and we can really see what's possible. Um, I love the fact that you have boundaries about corporate work. I probably wouldn't tell you to ever go take a corporate job. I think that that's totally okay. Um, I also want to really remind you that um, this work, like, you know, you're a sound healer and a yoga teacher, um, it takes a long time to get to a place where money is steady. Unless we come from money or unless like we're famous, like out of the gate overnight and our classes are totally filled, um, especially if we live in a city, it just takes a long time to make a living wage. It's part of the real unfortunate truth of that, uh, but it is the truth that it just takes a while. Um, and I don't want to limit you, but I also don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with what you're telling me. It does take a while. So that's why I would encourage you to consider like, can you be available to different ways to offer your work? That's another thing. If you make downloadable sound healings on your website and there's a small charge or a charge that you deem appropriate um, will that bring in more passive income for you? Possibly. If you make um, little mini asanas, little recordings of um, yoga practices that people can do, even audio recordings that people can purchase on your website, can you make passive income? Like It's just like I'm really feeling for you. This is sort of an intuitive question. So it's like I am feeling for you a little bit like just seeing different ways of bringing in abundance might be helpful, but it is not your fault. And I do really want to encourage you and anyone listening to this to let go of that idea. So hopefully that helps, Katie. Amelia asks, I've always had a difficult relationship with guilt, secrets, and self-destructive behavior. I'm a survivor of extreme trauma and I am a Scorpio. The Seven of Swords imagery and traditional meaning has always scared me and triggered my guilt. I've tried to view it in many lights, such as bringing in the spirit of the seven and the boundaries of the swords to possibly mean finding your own truth or being honest with yourself. But that feeling of guilt does creep in with readings with myself and others. When I pull it, sometimes I freeze and I'm triggered into thinking there's some secret or deception going on surrounding the querent, even though I never advised someone with that idea. I'd like to find a way to shake this feeling within myself. Do you have any wisdom and softer medicine surrounding this card or should I, quote, toughen up and face my fear of deception? So Amelia, I do have a teaching with Seven of Swords. It's like the exact opposite of deception. In fact, I think that that is a wildly, um, ooh, I better think of my wording. I think that the old definition 
of Seven of Swords is really um, misses the mark completely. Um, I don't find that there's any truth to it. Um, with my experience giving literally a gajillion readings as a professional reader and really waiting and looking at what the card is, um, I've never found it attached to that. Um, and with my own behavior, I've never seen it attached to that. And I actually don't think that's what it means. And I kind of think it's also a little racially problematic, actually, um, especially with the Smith Rider weight. So we also kind of need to look at like the context in which that original meaning came from and how we can begin to bring critical thinking around sort of this idea of, you know, what kind of implications surround this idea of secrecy and deception. I also want to go a step further and ask, why do people deceive? You know, some people do it because they're psychopaths and because like they want to create chaos and trouble. But a lot of the time when people lie, they're afraid. And a lot of the time when people steal, not all the time, obviously, there's wild variety to why people steal. But a lot of the time people steal because they need to, because they need to make money or they need to eat. And so there's another part of Seven of Swords that's not honored in, if we're talking about secrecy and deception, why do people keep secrets? Because they're afraid that if they come out, they won't be accepted, they'll be rejected. Why do people deceive? Because they're afraid they're not going to get what they want. Obviously, some people do it, again, to be abusive and gaslighty, and that is very true. That's very real. But just if we're going to look at the traditional meaning of this card, we can also even unpack those terms and start asking, well, why? Why? What is the source? Why would someone do that? Um, sevens in the tarot are inner work around an external situation. So this isn't like doing internal work around our inherent capacity for secrecy and deception. If we really look at the card, um, beyond the idea of like stealing swords, which I think I just don't think it matches what Seven of Swords has ever been. So it's not like I don't acknowledge that that was a part of what Pamela Coleman Smith and the Smith Rider Waite people were going for. I just don't think it's actually the truth of the card uh, in terms of, you know, maybe controversial for me to say, but I just don't. Um, Seven of Swords is about trusting that you have all that you need. So if you are stealing, let's just say, um, five swords and there's two on the ground and your whole body is whoosh, moving forward, but your head's turned back. You're not present. You have tons in your hands, but you're not seeing it. You're just seeing the two that you missed, the two that were left behind. So then we have to ask ourselves why the card has nothing to do with how the man or the being in the card got the swords. It has to do with what the body is doing. So it has to do with us constantly being taken out of this moment to be like, but I don't have that. So this card is not really about secrecy and deception. It's about hungry ghost energy. It doesn't matter what we're gaining or how we gained it or whatever. It, I, I'm saying that it doesn't matter because I've seen this card come up a million different ways and completely benevolent, innocent, sweet, 
lovely, well-meaning people. Um, This card really comes up a lot around people who are deeply struggling to figure out why the fuck they're still single. That has been the majority of the folks that have come through. And usually, um, and sometimes there's a lot of anger. They don't like what comes through, but usually there's an important medicine that comes through around this card coming up for folks in that position in that life season that's like, you got a lot going on for you. So the more you keep looking over your shoulder, looking for someone, looking for someone, you're actually missing what's here. So trust that those are meant to stay there. Trust that you have everything you need in your hands. There was another, um, there was a student that I taught in my retreat at Kripalu who also saw this card as someone coming in as a benevolent savior to take the weapons away from soldiers so that they wouldn't do any more harm. And was their interpretation of it with the two that were kind of left behind was this person trying to reconcile how they could kind of give of themselves to carry. So that's just another example. That's not my teaching of it, but that is uh, one of my former students kind of uh, her the, when she looked at it, that was what she saw um, on the rider weight. Now, that's not, again, that's just to provide to you some different contexts in which this card can be taken. And it also does sound like, and obviously you are observing this, so you know, your brain is really getting in there with like um, some meanie behavior and trying to be like, oh, Amelia, like you're so guilty. Like there must be something you did. And that's not soul, not at all. So I think for like the last, you know, over hundred years, 120 years, um, since the Smith Rider weight was out, um, which is really where this kind of teaching stems from, um, since that deck was out, we've kind of not really like updated this meaning of this card and kind of confronted the problematic aspects of it and how we internalize those kinds of like, um, how we internalize those things and, and like take them on and assume that we're guilty. Like it's a very religious thing. Um, there's also again, problems with the visuals of it. I think a little bit, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, uh, am willing to be willing to be corrected, I guess, but, uh, I don't know. I see what I see. I don't love it. Um, and I think it's important to call that out. And the second thing is that, uh, oh my God, this card. So is not calling you out on your deception and your, your guiltiness and your thievery and your secrets. Um, it's really letting you know, Amelia, you have so many gifts in your hands and um, it's very easy to believe that you don't have enough or that you need more because there can be a fear that if we don't grab those two swords, then we're not going to have anything. Um, so I believe in Soul Tarot, I teach this, that the Seven of Swords is actually the absolution and the release of kind of grippy, desperate, grabby um, impulses in the face of the fear that we will not have enough. So I think that's something to look at. You know, are you, do you ever work with that? Like, um, feeling like you're afraid, like you've got to kind of control and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us feel that way. So it's not so crazy to get this card. Um, start to do some work on that idea and then start to see how it comes up in a reading. Like, and really take what, 
I'm saying in this Ask Lindsay, and like obviously you're allowed to disagree with anything I say, but I would say just for shits and giggles, like write it down and try to start embodying it. Because the more you do that, the more in a reading you'll be able to call upon this and invite your client or yourself into this idea of like, hmm, am I not noticing all the gifts in my life? And what am I trying to like reach back and get? You know, that's really important to look at that. So I would say try that and totally, um, I know it's so hard, but you definitely don't need to toughen up about anything. Um, deception is a very disturbing idea. I don't know that any of us can be like tough to it. We can get wise to things, but I don't think you need to toughen up to anything. I think it's more like opening the heart to consider this different way of looking at it. Caitlin asks, I recently pulled the Page of Swords, Page of Cups, and Page of Wands at an Equinox spread, and then pulled the same three pages again in a reading the following week. I'm definitely feeling the page energy as I'm in a period of my life where I'm trying to shift toward making a career out of my creative work. But I'm also still trying to find the strength to actualize my ideas and put myself out into the world. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts to share on working with page energy as it relates to trying to take bigger strides in the world. I really appreciate any insights you have and thank you for all the incredible wisdom you bring to the tarot sphere. That's so nice, Caitlin. Um, I am so into this. So page of swords being at the beginning of your path, having so much to say. Like, I feel like Page of Swords is like the Disney character right before they sing their big song about like going the distance or being a part of your world. And that's like Belle's song. Like, it's like kind of the hero or the, it's the protagonist before they express from the heart what it is that they desire. And I really think that getting Page of Swords is always a good omen for anyone in your position who's just so fucking hungry to go to the next level of their work to put it into action. Um, page of cups, like connection with imagination, connection with play, connection with joy, literal connection with the inner child and the wisdom of the inner child. That's so beautiful. And page of wands is literally relating to your wand, to your creative center in a more grounded, rooted way, a more actionable way. You couldn't be blessed with three pages that could be more helpful to you. Um, I actually think like, um, what these pages might be telling you is don't wait for the strength to actualize your ideas. Just kind of do it which is easier said than done. But if you kind of wait till you're ready, we will never be ready. And that's kind of a cliche that's really true. Um, I've never been ready for a single fucking thing I've done in my whole life. <laughs> so if that helps you, like you're never ready. And once you get to the point where you're like, yes, I am ready. There's some things to be ready for in this life. Some, some things like we just got to wait until we're ready. And then there are other things, especially if we're getting page energy and you're getting that kind of, um, that kind of clarity, be willing to be really green, be willing to be like, I am fucking new at this. I am trying my best. I am, I am here to learn. I'm allowed to learn. When I was like very new to quitting my, um, when I had the opportunity to just sort of like not get another day job and I kind of gave all this work a shot, um, solo I wasn't like ready. Like I didn't have like a ton of clients lined up. I had to work my balls off to get to a point where, um, 
I'm still working my balls off, by the way. <laughs> it's just like different work with my balls. It's just different. You never stop working, ever. I am often not ready for the things I do. It's a matter of just simply saying, is it in highest and best? Am I getting that clear sign? Am I getting that green light? Great, I'm going to go for it. When that sense of like, no, I'm really not ready comes up, we'll know it and it'll be reflected in our cards. So just know that, I'm not inviting you to force or push anything or um, like uh, ignore the feelings, the very legitimate feelings that we have about being scared because we can hold that and also step forward in our gifts. Um, I'm really feeling like, um, just doing it and not thinking about it, knowing that you can just fling yourself out there, like try a bunch of different things, see if they stick. Even if they don't, you'll learn just kind of digging in, trusting yourself and knowing that pages are ruled by earth. Like you have kind of everything you need in the grounding earthly side to support you. It's really just like taking the step and letting the energy take you the rest of the way. So hopefully that helps you. And good luck with everything. Jenny asks, I was curious what you might recommend for those that struggle to move beyond the card meanings into a deeper liminal space. Sometimes in a reading, I find myself relying a little too much on what I know the card meaning is rather than allowing space for my intuition to guide me, even when I've made time to go within and invite that energy in. When this happens, I feel like I'm merely repeating to my clients the card quote definition rather than working from a deeper space. Do you ever find yourself in similar situations and how would you recommend someone to rely less solely on what the meanings are and dive deeper? Thanks so much for the light and love you bring. You've deeply changed how I read the tarot. Jenny, that's so nice. Um, I totally understand this. Uh, I've been in similar situations. Um, the meaning, okay. So I want to speak to two things. I want to speak to really uplifting what you're saying as being a very important way to read tarot and also actually answer your question. <laughs> there are sometimes clients that we get and we might not know literally or logically, but intuitively. Some part of us kind of knows they need to hear what the card means in order to make their own connections. Whenever that happened to me, where I was kind of like telling folks, like I was starting with the definition and then weaving my way out, um, whenever that happens, and it still happens sometimes, I find that the person just needs to know that they need to know. Um, and I really have learned to trust that. Um, I am an auditory, I, I, I just hear things auditorily, um, or from an auditory perspective. Um, and so usually how my readings go is like, I hear, understand a lot. And I'll start when I was a reader, I would start my readings with like a ton of channeled information. And then I would go into how the card meanings and the card medicine, like rooted all of it into truth. So it could be that you run on a similar line and you maybe don't know it yet, or maybe you're doing that and you're wanting to expand it out a little further. Um, the cards are a good root system. And I, I totally know what you're asking and I will speak to how to, how to open it a little bit more, but I also kind of don't want you to make 
a problem into what you're doing because it's it's great. And sometimes clients need it. We don't really know why. So I encourage you just to be always open to that. Um, how we can open up more to the liminal space is a practice and repetition. The more you do it, the more you read, the more consistently you do it, the more your card meanings and your interpretations will deepen. When we are defining who we'd like to read for, once we start to drop into a little bit more of our offering, also the card meanings deepen and we can go into more of that liminal space. What I mean by that is like some of us really, really, really fucking thrive in like witchcraft shops, lifestyle stores, reading with a bunch of people around. We can like take people down into that space. Some of us don't want to do that. And we want to be in like a really dark room in a dark space. We kind of want to, we, we want to go on a journey with people. So other times it's kind of preparing your client by refining your verbiage about what they can expect because the reading is a two way street. So it's not only about you just kind of getting more and more proficient on all the ins and outs of your card meanings, uh, because I know that you know what they mean, but it does take time. It's just repetition. This is like kind of a craft art where you, the more you do it, the better you get. If you stop doing it or you don't do it enough or you're not teaching it enough or whatever you really do, it, it starts to get a little thinner, um, or if we kind of know the meanings, but we're not backing it up with practice, you know? Um, so I just encourage you to keep practicing. And I also encourage you might have nothing to do with anything, but I totally encourage you to look at how you're reading and whether or not that resonates with the kind of structure and, um, energy that you want to put out there. Um, like if it's the kind of experience you feel really good about and you like it. And, um, and then the other thing is that something that doesn't get talked about enough is the fact that as readers, we will learn different things about the cards as we read. So there were many times as a reader, when I would be doing a reading for someone, they'd get a card and I would go, whoa, holy shit. I've never, how did this person in that situation get that card back in my early days? And it was the greatest fucking thing that ever happened to me because that moment of being like, oh God, this, what, this was never how I thought this card would come up because I let cards lead me. It would always be that I would learn something new. So that's also how we get into liminal spaces as well. It's just through experience. And the more we're practicing, the more we make that room to kind of have energy or guides come through to kind of um, fill in the gaps between each card and kind of fluff out the meaning a bit. So just time, practice, repetition, kind of looking at your structure and being really patient with yourself and not making it a problem that right now you're kind of just doing definition work. Um, another thing may just be that um, you can add to, I would say, rather than take away. So if you're finding that the structure of your readings kind of starts with like the definition, then you can um, expand it by just simply saying, and how that relates to you is, what that means for you is, what that card is inviting you into is X, Y, Z. So hopefully that helps. Anonymous asks, in December, I decided I wanted to be a baker. 
It was a tower level shift in identity and a total recreation in identity and a revelation in self. It's amazing, Anonymous. Since then, I've had some trouble getting employed in the positions. Recently, I pulled two spreads that I'm having trouble reconciling. First, I asked the cards about a job I applied for and wanted and got seven of wands, seven of cups, temperance, and high priestess. Then I told the deck I wanted to be a baker and I got king of swords and king of pentacles. So the first spread is telling me that there's internal work to do around this job and it's time to call in spirit. That seven of cups threw me because it's saying this isn't the job I want, but the second spread seems supportive of me being a baker. I can't see the forest for the trees. Okay, um, the first spread I would say is about getting out of your own way and giving yourself a little bit more permission to dream about what you'd like the work to be. Um, seven of wands is important around like, it tells me that there's too much attachment in your case. There might be a lot of attachment. Seven of cups does not mean it's saying that this isn't the job you want. Tarot kind of doesn't work that way. It's not black and white like that. Seven of cups is an invitation, a little offering that says, let yourself keep dreaming a bit about this. Um, not saying that you shouldn't like hustle and want to get a job, but something tells me that maybe there was something about this job that wasn't worthy of you and you tried to grip. And that is probably what it was letting you know about. It's not saying don't be a baker because absolutely those cards are definitively King of Swords and King of Pentacles, like step up in your fucking shit and do it. But I will tell you, King of Swords is a sacred communicator and someone who speaks the truth out loud. So what are you communicating? How are you saying it? What are you talking about? Like, how are you, how are you communicating about this? I would just look at that. King of Pentacles is also like an indication that if you want to do this work, you really have to be open to being supported. Um, I feel like this is more complicated or Complicated is not quite the word, but I do feel that this is more complex than perhaps the respect I'm paying to the reading that you mentioned. And I also think that when we can't see the forest for the trees, uh, it's so normal, but it's also usually evidence of contraction. And when we're in contraction, it's very wise to pause. We don't really do not want to make any decisions in contraction at all. What I'm really feeling from the cards, from what you're telling me, from how you're speaking about all of this, is that there is need still for kind of dropping in and getting clear about what you're being invited to move into. There's a lot of like what you want, what you decided to do. That's all dope. Like, don't take that away. Let's just add in a little bit more. I'm willing to be guided to what is in my highest and best. So what, what I would say with the, with the readings that you did, I would invite you to try to pull again, not for a different spread, but for an additional spread and say something to the effect of, um, I, um, what do I need to let go of in order to step into my next, um, cycle of expansion in this career path? What do I need to welcome in to step into this next expansion? What do I need to, what can I see that I'm not seeing? Like, I think there's something else, like 
there's maybe a little bit of inadvertent stepping in your own way, trying to rush something. Again, no, no judgment. That's, I feel like everybody has that, but those are just some of the things that I would say that I hope might help. Um, wishing you luck with that. Um, Lise asks, as an exercise, I have calculated my personal cards for the next years and 2020 will be governed by the tower. As the sum of the two digits is seven, I'm considering the chariot as a strong card for the year two. However, since I calculated it, I am extremely apprehensive and afraid to live some car, afraid to experience some car accident and sometimes feel really anxious about that. I would like to ask you, please, some advice about how to deal with cases like this when the effect of the cards is the opposite of the potential medicine. Lisa, I'm not exactly sure if I'm clear on what you're asking, but I think what you're saying is basically you're afraid of being in a tower year, I think. Um, first of all, that's, I highly doubt that you're going to get into a car accident because you, 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 if you were to, it wouldn't have to do with the tower. Like, um, the tower. I've I've spoken about the tower multiple times on this podcast. So I'd say if you are confused about that, like definitely go back and um, listen, because it really is not about that kind of thing. Um, it is just about a clarity that happens in a way that's very powerful, that identifies for us what structures are really not in alignment, and then all that good Mars energy comes in and kind of helps us to burn it away. There. I understand and really want to bow to your, your fear about potentially being in a tower year and having some kind of disaster befall you. Um, I am in a tower year right now and leaving it in about 10 days, about five days because my birthday is April 10th. Um, and I'm moving into star and this year was intense for me for sure. But I didn't get into any car accidents, knock on wood. I didn't, nothing happened that was a disaster. Um, I had a couple of really strong experiences, mainly a whole lot of upgrading and clearing and life got way better. What can you do when the effect of the cards is the opposite of the potential medicine, the tower is not having an effect on you right now. The brain is having an effect on you. The tower is not doing that to you. The tower is existing benevolently, kind of waiting to help you clear out old structures and bring in the good shit. It's the brain that gets really triggered and upset about what could come that's always brain shit. And you can always tell the brain to shut the fuck up. And whenever, um, we're in a situation where there's big brain fear about a card, it just represents a place where we need to get really, really, really serious about our theory. Um, meaning like knowing our definitions, exploring them from different angles, listening to stories from people who've lived through tower. I feel like Tower is one of those things that's very easily um, overestimated in terms of its uh, capacity to bring disaster. It doesn't want to do that unless we're living a lie. And then to the ego, that opening 
will be like a disaster. It's just a disaster to the ego. The tower doesn't bring anything that isn't meant to wake us up, help us, aid us. It's not always comfortable, but it's not meant to harm or hurt. Um, calming that part of you down that's kind of using the tower to invite you into terror and fear, I feel like that's more important to look at and to be with and to really have like major compassion for yourself around. Then from there, just continue to kind of like gently see all the different ways that the tower can be benevolent, helpful medicine. I think that's really, really important. And I'm, I, I want to promise you that you're going to be totally okay with your tower year. Um, and to trust that, um, despite what it brings in an earthly way, um, the tower is not here to destroy. It's here to help clear the space so that new growth can begin to flourish. So I hope that helps, Lise. Um, Anonymous asks, I love the monthly medicines and look forward to them every month. I was wondering, what is your process to receiving these? If this is too personal to share, I understand. What words of wisdom would you give to someone who wanted to start this as a personal practice? Um, Anonymous, I like don't have a fancy way of receiving them. I really like sit down and I pull and then my guides talk to me and then I tell you guys what my guides say. Um, and sometimes that's cause like guides are kind of like we're in there with the guides too. So sometimes it's like my own knowing that comes through and I'm able to sort of share, um, in a way that's both like intuitively guided, logically guided. It's like, um, just kind of all the things in that space of channeling that's esoteric, but also very practical. Um, I got a lot of practice uh, doing the, it's just a little different because it's for the collective. So you have to be specific about asking for that. You have to kind of look at themes. You have to kind of feel into, um, who's, you know, because also the other thing is that not everyone in the world listens to this podcast. So it's also trusting that whoever does, they're getting what they need to hear. Um, and really trusting that whatever's coming through is what's meant to be coming through. Um, I also had a lot of practice because I was the taroscope writer and video person for weekly taroscopes for like two years for um, the Numinous. It was an enormous amount of channeling and writing for the collective for signs. And sometimes um, I would, I often got positive feedback um, I don't even ever think I got an, a piece of negative feedback that I saw, but sometimes some people would be like this Taurus telescope. Don't, are you sure Taurus? Um, like, because they have a transit coming up da, 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 and I'd be like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it's like, it doesn't have to match necessarily like what you think is going to happen. It's just really like trusting personal practice though, just create a spread that you feel like can identify for you, like what it is that you're doing in that particular month, like where you're, where you're coming from, what you're doing, where you're going, all that stuff, all that really good juicy shit. Um, like what do you most want to know about the month ahead? Um, how would you pull, how would you begin to say like, what's all the most important information you'd want to know about the month ahead? Then I would say just like create your own formula for that and go for it. Um, that's kind of just what I did. 
Um, Amanda asks, I began my journey with tarot over 20 years ago and was much of a dabbler for quite some time. There came a time in my life that through a friend, I began to use the tarot much more often. This friend had the privilege of growing up in a family that was open to all forms of alternative thinking and healing and became somewhat of a mentor to me when it came to my understanding of the tarot. In the past several years, I've become much more confident and honestly soul-centered in my approach that I feel my path has diverged from hers. No problem there. The problem I'm having is that she wants me to read for her almost every time we get together but doesn't want to hear or accept what I'm getting from the cards. She only wants to interject her interpretation, which is most always that every male card is a man in her life. I strongly disagree disagree and knowing her life situation just makes me disagree more. I've been so inspired by you, Lindsay, and my boundaries and your boundaries, and it has helped tremendously. I'm just wondering what advice you might have when dealing with a close friend that seems to want to drain you of your energy and not respect that you know what the hell you're talking about. To top it off, I'm going on a two-week trip to Ireland with her in two weeks. I'm feeling very anxious. I'm considering leaving my deck at home to avoid the pressure to read for her. Any advice would be welcome. Amanda, this is a hard one and not hard for me to give advice, just really like bowing to you because it's a toughie. It's like a really tough situation. Um, be, be, um, I encourage you. My first kind of piece of advice is to be unconditionally honest with your friend. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you are there for them in every way and tell them that you are feeling like they're not really listening to you when you read, so you'd prefer to take a break. And that when you read for them, they have a lot of input to project onto the reading. And you are perfectly fine with that in theory, but would prefer not to engage in just simply having her project onto your readings. You love her, and for the sake of the friendship, you'd prefer not to read for her anymore. You can also, if that feels really triggering, and if you're like, oh my God, I could never say that, and you want to be really easy, really politic, and kind of avoid a hard conversation... All you need to do is tell her, I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical from reading for friends. I'm only doing like paid clients that I don't know and reading for myself. Um, and you can just say, because I'm finding that um, when I read for folks, like they seem to, I want to really avoid at this time when I'm kind of blossoming my own understanding of the cards um, through the work of people that have inspired me. Um, I'm really wanting to just connect to my own knowing. Um, that is so legitimate as many of us who are readers, especially really on the path, really committed to the path or professional reading for family or friends is usually a, a, a very, it's a, it's like not bad. It's just a risky business. <laughs> it's not always like great to read for friends or family because they don't always receive what we're saying. And sometimes like we'll see things for our friends or family and we'll think like, you know, this would probably be better if they heard it from a stranger or whatever. Um, that's so legitimate for you to say to your friend, like when you go to Ireland, like I'm just doing readings for me right now. And like, definitely like I'm, I'm taking like a total break from family and friends right now because we know each other. It's too close. Like I'm, I'm on a different stage with my healing. Now here's the deal, Amanda. 
If she's an asshole about that, you might want to consider getting new friends. I mean, that's super fucking harsh, but that's the kind of the deal with boundaries is that when we state our boundaries, if people are assholes about them, then we start to realize that there's probably boundaries there for a reason. And if you're feeling really courageous, you can say to her, like, I'm kind of hearing some upset that you're like, my boundaries are in place for a reason. They have nothing to do with pleasing you. You know, I don't owe you readings. Um, and if they're upset about that, just say, you know, there's an unconditionality between us when there's respect between the reading, when I feel called, like I'll do it. And if not, I won't do it. But I do kind of encourage you to tell your friend when you're able to listen to what I have to tell you. And when you're able to step out of a mentorship role with me, I will begin to give you readings again. And if not, that's okay. Let's just say that we don't read for each other. Um, I'm a mentor of a lot of people and a teacher. I've never I have never um, received a reading like that in my entire life. Even when I've gotten readings for students who are so scared to read for me, but we're just doing examples and or we're practicing with each other and they need a partner and it's me and they're inevitably nervous. I have never experienced a time when I haven't gotten something out of that reading that I couldn't give myself. So she's just being an asshole. It's very simple. And we don't need to worry about whether assholes are like, okay with us saying you're an asshole. <laughs> so to like make Ireland kind of like a little bit easier so you can maybe enjoy her, I would say just like bring your deck and maybe you might even want to like write her an email a couple days before just confirming a few things. And then you can gently just say like, Hey, like this is something I just wanted to like bring up before we go. Um, I don't want you to feel disappointed or anything, but I'm kind of doing a break on reading for friends and family and just kind of focusing on myself right now. So just know that like, I probably won't be giving you readings in Ireland, but I'm like so looking forward to kicking it with you and having fun. But that's a really easy way to, to do it for Ireland. And then when you get back from Ireland, you might want to consider having a deeper conversation. Um, but I just want to like really clarify that it's interesting that she was raised in such a forward thinking environment because she's being extremely linear and heroic and kind of constrictive in her thinking because, um, which is really not like being a good reader. It's kind of being an asshole. So just don't be afraid to, um, I know it's a huge bummer and a pain in the ass and I'm totally with you on that. Um, but I would say like, just be really brutally honest and, see whether you want to be brutally honest before Ireland or after. Um, but like definitely wishing you luck on that one. Um, she is in the wrong, just so you know that just like straight up, she's not in the right here. You are in the right. You have, it's a good, strong code of ethics with readers is like, if someone's telling us what our cards mean, the reading is over. We just don't need to deal with that. Like it's either they can listen or they're in resistance and she, her ego is getting in her way from receiving from you. Um, nobody is too high and too big for their britches that they can't hear what, uh, a reading has to say to them. We can receive a reading and privately be like, that is definitely not for me, but we can, unless it's not harmful, in which case we can always, as the reader, stop our reading and be like, that's really abusive languaging. And I won't allow you to continue the reading for me and we can get up and just walk away. But if we're just getting medicine that doesn't apply to 
what our ego wants to hear. That's some bullshit. You can call that right out. Just if the next time she does it, just literally collect the cards, put them away and just be like, I'm sorry, I won't be continuing. And if she has a problem with it, then, you know, again, that's probably something that goes deeper, but this is her issue. This isn't your issue. And I encourage you to just step into your courage and really trust your gifts on this one. So wishing you luck with that and enjoy Ireland. Um, Charlene asks, I absolutely loved your podcast on boundary setting and their importance. It was definitely something that hit home for me. My question around boundaries is how to know the difference between feeling like you need to energetically or practically protect yourself from something or when the discomfort you feel is actually calling to your attention something that you need to lean deeper into. I can easily see life is full of opportunities for me to feel stretched and grow, but I don't see how that's led me into situations where it was more about teaching me to set up my boundaries. Ultimately, though, I don't want to push things away that will actually help me grow if I seize the opportunity to let down my defenses. Any suggestions on how to note the difference within yourself? Yes, there are two. Let's talk about people in for one and situations for the other. So with people, how you know, and this is very blanket, how you know that you need to build defense or, you know, to employ defenses, or, whoa, defenses, how you need to know that you can employ boundaries, not defenses, um, rather than just kind of letting your defenses down and kind of opening the heart and like stretching and growing is if that person is receptive and open to you. There's very little that can happen when we're having trouble, miscommunication, difficulty with someone and they are saying no you're wrong. I don't want to. You're in the blah, blah, blah. Then after, if that person warrants a second conversation being like, wow, I'm really hearing that this is not very open. I just want to say one more time, like, I'm not hearing that you're open to having a conversation here. I'd really like to, are you available to clear this, communicate, whatever. If you get another answer that's like no or something like that, then you use boundaries and you say, okay, great. Well, it's been swell. And then you walk away. If the person is in any way, shape or form being aggressive, abusive, shitty to you, pushing you down, gaslighting you, get the fuck out of there right away. Because unless those people come to you with a legitimate apology, and even that is sometimes bullshit, no need to let anybody in who does that. I've had situations where I have felt dual triggering with someone where they've done something, it's triggered me, I've attempted to talk about it, or where I'm not in the position to really talk about it depending on where, sorry, I keep hitting the mic, depending on kind of where we are. And I felt them being triggered by me. If I put out there that I notice this and I want to talk about it and they don't respond or they respond in a way that I feel is not that is emotionally manipulative, then I will employ boundaries. But there, it's usually when the person is open and when there is a sense of nonviolence around the desire to unpack and uh, open up around that. Now, situations, very similar. If the situation, if we're pushing, knocking, dragging down something, there's a very fine line between pushing something that doesn't want to yield 
and us wasting our energy and kind of be like knocking down a door that will stay locked forever and working our asses off to come to something. And I think that the, um, the difference is, does something feel like a violation of self? Is something asking something of us that is inappropriate? Do we not want to? Is it continually taking more than it's giving back? Kind of the key with this is like the way that we can um, work through difficulty, discomfort, moments of deep intimacy in the face of like big triggers, big sensitivities is basically taking a chance and saying like, I'm really hurting. Are you available to hear me? to hold space for me. You've triggered me. If that's appropriate. And if it is appropriate and that person is open, then you got a relationship. If they're not open, if they're closed, if they won't listen to you, if they're blaming you, whatever, um, unless you really are being called in around behavior that is kind of like, um, white guilt, whatever. Like if there's a situation like that, um, or inappropriate, you know, whatever. Um, obviously have no idea if you are white Charlene, but (laughs) that's one example is like important for us to hold the weight of our, of our impact. Um, then if we don't get that openness to unpack and clear, then we do need to have boundaries. If there's somebody who doesn't hear us, doesn't listen, isn't respecting, keeps taking from the cup and doesn't put it back into you, or there seems to be an unevenness. Um, it's really a feeling. Do you feel more exhausted? Do you feel like the person's just taking, taking, taking the situation or the job is just taking, taking, taking that is a need for boundaries, but something that you, I'm not seeing completely in your response to me that I just want to invite you to think about or uplift in you if you were thinking about it. Um, all of the boundary work that you do will help you grow. It, it do not trick yourself into believing that boundaries cannot apply to discomfort. You feel that actually calls attention, something that you need to lean deeper into. It is real easy to be like, I don't want to have a tough conversation with someone about boundaries and you keep letting them take, 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 take from you. We have kind of fooled ourselves into thinking like boundaries are in some way like, um, tapping out when we should have a harder conversation. Now, if somebody says something to us that is upsetting or in some way, um, triggering in a growthful way, not in a traumatic way, but in a growthful way, pushes a button and we just block them and delete them. Or somebody calls us in and we just ignore them or we gaslight them or vice versa. Boundaries really do need to be employed with that. Um, And when I say boundaries, I mean letting go of our sense of fear and really having a dialogue potentially. Um, But also there are times to have really good boundaries. It really just depends on the behavior. Um, but don't take away the hardness of boundaries. They're not easy to have, to hold. Eventually they get easier, but no matter what, whether you're opening the heart, letting someone in and seeing whether or not they respond to your invitation, or you are setting up a very strong gate, um, or fence, 
around someone's energy, it is really, really, really super important to look at all of it as potentially gut-busting, heart-opening, really powerful work. So I hope that that helps at all. Um, I hope it helps. Um, these were such powerful questions. Thank you so much for writing in, for trusting me with your questions. Um, if you love this podcast, if you like it, you can leave us five stars on iTunes. Um, if you want, you can leave a review, but it's really not necessary. We always love to hear your kind words. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Lindsay Mac or God, you can follow me on Instagram at wild soul healing, and you can, uh, find out all about me and my work at lindsaymack.com. Um, you can sign up for my mini course trauma in the tarot by going to my website also and looking under, um, soul tarot school. You'll see it there. Um, and yeah, wishing everyone the most blessed, beautiful new moon in Aries and, uh, looking forward to seeing everyone for the interview next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. <laughs>